episode 27, Spring Cleaning Tech Tips, my conversation with Margaret Martin of Bungalow Tech. I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the techsavvylawyer.page and host of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. Our next guest is Margaret Martin. Margaret is the owner of Bungalow Tech. Her company provides technical support and tutoring for Apple products in people's homes and businesses. Margaret provides COVID-compliant one-on-one technical support through both voice and video calls. She can also take your equipment back to her office to do detailed troubleshooting, software upgrades, and new computer setup. In this episode, Margaret and I discuss some spring cleaning tips for your electronic equipment that applies to Android, Apple, and Windows technology. Enjoy. Margaret, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. And we're excited to have you. And, you know, to start off, I'd love to hear about your current tech setup. Okay. So I um, am using as my main machine a MacBook Pro. This is a 16 inch 2019 model. And I run it on my desktop. So I use that keyboard. And then I have an external monitor actually positioned sort of up and behind it. So I have a larger monitor as well. So I use both screens, but the laptop's keyboard and trackpad, and that gives me access to um, you know, any of the new features that Apple adds with the keyboard and Apple well, Pay and things like that. Well, wait, uh, just to, uh, so you're talking about the Touch ID. Yeah. That gives you access to Apple Pay and to unlock and lock your, your, your laptop securely. Well, what kind right. of external monitor do you have? I bought, when Apple announced they were no longer making uh, displays themselves and they sort of partnered with LG, I mm-hmm. bought the first iteration of the LG models. Um, so mine is the ultrafine 4K, but it's not the one that's currently for sale. I have, when it first came out, they only had a 21 and a half inch. So it's okay. a really small monitor. Um, and I'm looking yeah. to change that out, but with the new switch to the new Apple chips, I've just mm-hmm. been waiting because I think my whole setup is going to be changing in the next year, year and a half. Oh, okay. Excellent. Excellent. No, so with your laptop, you don't have the butterfly switch, right? Keys? Correct. This is the first one that they went back to the old school okay. keyboard mechanism. You know, knock on, on wood, I, I have a MacBook uh, Pro 16 uh, 2017. I've got the, you know, like the, the um, butterfly keys. Um, keyboards and knock on wood, I have not had a problem. Um, and and I will take that. And, uh, the, and I have the 27 inch LG ultrafines that you're referring to flanking my, my main, my, my main, uh, iMac, uh, cause that has a built-in display. And, And what else are you using? Well, I do have a Mac mini in the office that I run headless, Mm -hmm. meaning I don't have a monitor connected to it. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly a media server and it's a duplicate of my files. Anything that's in iCloud is automatically Mm -hmm. synced to that. And it is kind of an emergency backup. If something were to happen to my main machine, I could Mm -hmm. 
connect the monitor to that and, and right. use it to do basic stuff. But those are my two machines. For a long time, I used to run a laptop when I would go out in the field and mm -hmm. a desktop at home, but it's a lot to manage those two. So mm -hmm. uh, for many years, I've just been running a laptop. I used to run it in clamshell mode, but with the touch ID, as we talked about, it's really mm -hmm. nice to have that accessible. And if you run it in clamshell, it's back at the back of the desk folded up. So you lose all that. The only other gear I've got is a scanner on my desk uh, because I mostly kind of work paperless. Uh, it's a Fujitsu ScanSnap. The, it's an old yep. one. Was it S1500M? It was sort of the the one that everybody bought, um, and it's still going. So I'm running it, even though we had some issues over the years with the uh, Fujitsu not supporting updated operating systems on the Mac. But they seem to have come to their senses about that. So I'm still running it until it really dies. <laughs> I have an older Fujitsu uh, ScanSnap that I used, I used as a, as an extra uh, scanner in the office. And then uh, I was playing around with it after one of my clerks had left. The, they're no longer uh, supporting it on a Mac, which is, I mean, it's a, it's an older, it's like 10 years old, but still. They might now. The weird thing is they uh -huh. went through a period of about 18 months where they were not mm -hmm. supporting it. You could not run, I believe it stopped at Catalina, which was one mm -hmm. operating system ago. Um, and for whatever reason, they reversed that decision finally. So I believe it was sometime in the last year, they introduced new software that would work under, I'm running Big Sur and the ScanSnap, mm -hmm. everything is just as it used to be. So it's possible your older look. scanner will go because this one, this one, I think, I think mine is at least eight years, if not ten years old. It's really old. I as thought well. I had checked several weeks ago, but I'll I'll well, double check before I, you know, trash it. Um, yeah, there are a lot of people trying trying to get these old ones running. I came across a bunch of forums where they were running sort of mm -hmm. semi-hacked software to get them working. Mm -hmm. And I used to use the Mac Mini. That was another reason I kept the Mac Mini around was so right, I right. could connect the scanner up to the old machine, but. Look into it. It's well, possible the, it's running again. Well, with the with the M1 chip, are you thinking of replacing just your laptop? Uh, were you thinking about your Mac Mini? Uh, for I have been considering a while uh, for a while to go to an iMac in my office, and mm -hmm. then have another device, maybe a Mac, maybe just my iPad when I go out and meet with clients. Um, so. I've got a lot of decisions ahead of me. I have not decided if that's really going to work with the recent, shall we say, tightening of security on Macs, which I don't object mm -hmm. to, but it means that there's a lot less I can do on site in the field with my Mac connected up to a client's, for example. So there's a lot less reason for me to carry a heavy full computer around with me. So it might be that I can stop running a laptop as my main machine and just have something next to me like an iPad that I can take notes on and do research and things like that. I, it's a difficult decision to make at this point. So I'm actually looking all over the place. Would I get a high powered Mac mini? Would I get an, a new iMac with the M1 chip? Would I just stick with a laptop? Would I get two new machines? Maybe have um, switch to an Air if I did feel mm -hmm. like I needed a Mac going out in the field. It's, it's gonna be a big change. So I don't know where I'm gonna fall on that. Well, one interesting thing is that like attorneys are not going out in the field as much, 
you know, they're doing remote depositions, they're doing remote court appearances, they're meeting with their clients remotely. And, you know, when my, my current laptop, 2017, which is four years old, which may be quote unquote long in the tooth, um, for some people on the other hands for a Mac, you know, that's, that's still a baby, but you know, I'm going to have a hard time convincing myself of the need to replace that laptop, given the fact that to be blunt, I'm not going out in the field as much. And I really don't see that changing much in the next couple of years. So, you know, I know you assist others with their computer needs. Um, given COVID, have you been able to go out in the field as much or are you doing this mostly remotely? It's all remote. I, I went 100% remote because I am the sole caregiver for my two elderly parents. So mm -hmm. I made the decision early on that I would just had to stop entirely, which was quite a challenge uh, because mostly I work with consumers and would go to their houses one-on-one -on -one and mm -hmm. they're not technically savvy. That's the group I work with. Um, right, right. Most of them, some of them are, some of them are retired from technical fields, but uh, so I have not been going out into the field. That's another sort of wrinkle in all of this. And that's why I mm -hmm. think my 2019 is still, it's still growing, going fine. I have one big complaint with the 2019 model, which is that the fans will spin up at the drop of a hat and okay. they're not bad sounding. Unlike a lot of laptops, especially early laptops, right. they've done a good job of making a nice sound but it's really loud. And I'll tell you, being on Zoom calls <laughs> a lot of the time, it's really pushing those GPU processors and this thing will kick on like crazy. And I'm, so I'm really looking forward to the M1 addressing that. And it clearly has. Um, they've done a lot of things because they are controlling the chip really and tying it into the operating system in a way mm -hmm. they haven't been able to before. But I will say when I go out into the field, the last piece of tech we haven't talked about is my iPad. Mm. I have a... Mm a large 12.9 inch iPad Pro, which I love. Mm -hmm. And I use that frequently when I'm meeting with clients because I like to handwrite notes a lot. I used to use notebooks. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it's much less intimidating for me to sit down at a table and handwrite notes than it is for me to open up a laptop and stare at a mm -hmm. screen when I'm actually, mm -hmm. I really need to look at mm -hmm. them and understand, do you, do you know, mm -hmm. are you following what I'm saying? Um, am I getting this right, et cetera. So there's a lot of things that are gonna be changing. Like I said, it's possible that I really could, don't need any kind of really small computer that the, the iPad could do it all for me. Um, that's what I'm trying to figure out because I do have the case with keyboard and it behaves really much like an iPad uh, laptop at that point. Do you have the Apple Pencil? Oh yeah, that was the reason I bought the thing. <laughs> One or two? Oh, too, because I, I use this daily. And mm -hmm. when the new one came out, I thought, you know, the one is great. They say this one is better. I use this every day. I'm going to invest in, and get the next okay. one. Now, my iPad is, let's see, I believe it's a 2018 model. I don't think it's 2019 uh, because there really wasn't much difference between the two. And then in 2020, mm -hmm. they came out with another one, which was almost identical. And so I haven't updated right. the iPad. It was such a yeah. leap forward that I didn't feel the need mm -hmm. to do that. Um, and the incredible battery life is just amazing, which is mm -hmm. what we will be seeing on the M1 computers when they come out. Well, I think one thing that all attorneys would be interested in is what note-taking, excuse me, what note-taking app are you using to capture your notes? Well, when I do handwriting, I mm -hmm. use GoodNotes. 
which mm-hmm. I found when I did some early tests had the best, um, I guess it's the digitization process is the best on that. Because one of the, I, I've been using handwriting with you know styluses for a long time. And the trick mm-hmm. for it to be a seamless experience is to have no lag. There's always going to be lag, which you want no perceptible right. lag. And GoodNotes just slightly beat out its competitor, which I think is Notability, which I also have used. I try to try mm-hmm. a lot of, different software because this is kind of my job. Um, but good notes I settled on because it really was the most seamless. I could could not tell that I wasn't writing with a pen. And it was also gave me a good result with my t- style of writing. I felt that it was slightly more readable. But that was tested quite a while ago. Um, and it's possible things have changed. I know they sort of seesaw in terms of features, but basically I needed to take notes in a way that I can access again. That's my main thing. I'm either writing in a blank digital notebook or I'm importing PDFs and marking them up and then exporting them out. And I've occasionally done presentations from that as well. Uh, when you wanna do sort of like a, what we used to call a chalk talk when I was mm-hmm. uh, doing biochemistry, you got to be able to write on something and a digital chalkboard. This works beautifully for that. I see in the background, you have a HomePod. I'm curious, do you ever, is that at all integrated into your office activities? So do you use it as a mic for your phone? I don't use it as a mic for the phone because most of my stuff, when I'm dealing with clients, I need to be able to see what they're doing remotely. I I will take calls from them, but tech support without having the visual component is much more challenging. And since everybody now has Zoom, I am, I rarely am doing that. Before we were sort of in a lockdown mode, I would just use the phone to make an appointment to drive out and see right. them. So I don't use it in that regard. However, I do use it frequently in my office for playing music. Um, mm. And I got rid of the speakers that used to sit on my desk, which is fabulous. It just, I have a very small desk comparatively. Mm-hmm. So getting more stuff off of it has been great. So being able to throw music over there from the Mac and throw video content, you know, the sound that I'm playing, sometimes I do that as well. Excellent. Well, thanks for sharing. And tell you what, let's get into the questions. With the first question being, what are three tips lawyers could use when cleaning out their tech closet this spring? Okay, I think the most important tip I have is to, before you start, figure out why you're doing this. And that seems simplistic, but it will help you figure out how you're going to do it if you know the why. So you might be doing it because you need more space in your storage area, or you need more Mm -hmm. space on your desk. You might be doing it because you want to be able to find replacements in a crisis for the cable that might be broken quickly Mm -hmm. instead of digging through a huge pile of junk. Or you may want to be thinking about reducing your liability. And we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about devices that hold data and how to handle them. Mm -hmm. So obviously it might be all three, but just think about that because that will help you figure out what you should be focusing on because you can make this a very long involved process or you can make this a very short process. So it doesn't have to be long. It's gonna look different for everybody is what I tell people. Uh, The next step would be to take it seriously, which sounds also a little silly, but what I mean is schedule enough time to do it and not Mm -hmm. just to do it, but to finish it because that's the hard part. That last part about making the decisions is what holds holds people back. And you 
don't want to stop partway through because chances are you will have made a giant mess in the middle <laughs> of this process. So right. make sure you've blocked off enough time and do it in the workday. This is not, I mean, this is a legitimate work activity is maintaining this stuff. So block off a couple hours in the afternoon to to power through it, knowing that at the end of it, you may still have some lingering tasks about doing the final disposal, but that you want to get through the process uh, so you're not feeling rushed at the end. Now, now you realize you're asking lawyers to take a couple hours out of the middle of their busy day to do something that's not billable. So, um, you know, I, I, I hope that some of the listeners will think that, you know, yeah, I do need to spend some time, even though it takes away so that the other time I have is quality time. Right. And the idea is to help you move forward in things and to stop it, you know, these kind of tech buildup from holding you back and making other parts Mm -hmm. of your practice inefficient. So there are times you can hire people to help you with this, certainly, but in the end, you are going to have to make some decisions because only you know, you know, what you need to keep versus what you need to get rid of. Well, hold hold on. I I have a question. mm -hmm. Is that a service that you offer? Well, I certainly have gone to clients and especially now keep in mind that I work mostly with consumer clients Mm -hmm. on my, on the tech side of my business. And they often have fear about getting rid of things. So they just keep everything. So I'm there to help them handhold them through the process. And also most importantly to say, are you sure you don't have anything else? Because chances (laughs) are there's a drawer somewhere in the kitchen that, uh uh-oh, there's a bunch of stuff in here. Is this, you know, for the GPS and the car that we got rid of, is this an old phone charger? I don't know what this stuff is. A lot of times I, I do offer this service mostly to help people get started and then to handle their anxiety about dealing with this kind of stuff. Um, Identifying items is also a skill I have because I've seen a lot of different things Mm -hmm. and I can take a look Mm -hmm. at a cord and say, that's a power cord. Oh, that's a different, that's a funky USB cord. You got Mm -hmm. rid of that scanner. Let's go, you know, get rid of that kind of thing. Um, But actually, sadly, sadly, if I may, I, I remember uh, I was cleaning out my, my computer wire closet like 10 years ago. And I found uh, a very long old uh, SCSI printer cable that, you know, hasn't, you know, we haven't (laughs) used SCSI in what, like two decades, but you know, what do I know? But I'm I'm sorry, I think I may have interrupted. No, it happens. I mean, I'm looking at the picture of myself right now and I see on my desk an Apple TV remote. I got rid of the Apple TV four months ago and I just found the remote because it was in another room. So, you know, that's why I say it does take a little bit of time if you really want to do a full clean out, finding all the random stuff you may have, especially if you work from home, secreted in other places. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, deciding... The final step, I think, or the final uh, tip is deciding what to keep and what to to dispose of is really the hardest part. And that's what people Mm -hmm. get hung up on. They don't want to do it and that therefore they do nothing. And I say to my clients, it's okay to keep more than you think you should keep. There, There are no rules about this. If you can't make the decision if this is important to keep or not, just keep it. As long as you've got a little bit of space for it, that's a totally legitimate decision. Just make sure it's an intentional choice. Don't keep it because you just don't want to deal with it and you shove it in the drawer and try and get it closed one more time. <laughs> Fair enough. That, that, that's probably a good yeah. rule of thumb. 
Well, let's move on to the second question. What are three ways best to dispose of old tech? And, and when I talk about old tech, I'm including uh, making sure that you secure your private and confidential information, whether it's properly erased or destroyed. Right. So I don't have exactly two things. I, I have three things. I have two here. Um, mm-hmm. But your first point is well taken. There's the easy tech and there's the hard tech. The easy mm-hmm. tech is the stuff that has no data. We're talking about cables. We're talking about extra monitors. That's fairly straightforward to handle. The harder ones is the tech that holds data. And I'm definitely gonna talk a little bit about more about that as we go through this. But when I say that I really only have two things, what I'm thinking about for best and what does best mean, there are two considerations. There's the environmental considerations of mm-hmm. getting rid of something. And then there's the data security slash privacy, slash confidentiality, slash potential liability, which I'm going to call the sensitive data, the stuff that you Mm -hmm. have to be aware of how you're handling it. So of those two considerations, let's talk about methods of, quote, disposal. My first one is always reusing. In other words, we are maybe disposing it from our use, but some, if it still has life in it, that is your best mm-hmm. use for that in a lot of cases. It keeps it out of the landfills, keeps it from poisoning our environment. Great. If you can hand it down, if you can sell it to a company, although there are fewer and fewer of these third-party companies that buy stuff mm-hmm. these days, if you can sell to individuals, meaning you have the time to do that, to deal with one-on-one, right. if you can donate it. Again, this is these are all possibilities, but they are sort of shrinking, I would say, because uh, tech ages very quickly. And Mm -hmm. you would think there's a lot of life left in something. So you should be able to donate it if nothing else. You don't want any money for it. You just want somebody to be able to use it. But a lot of charitable organizations really need fairly modern tech for their clients. I mean, they they can't get by on five or six-year-old stuff. They need the most accessible equipment, for example. What you know, it's funny, uh, like the Salvation Army will no longer take tube TVs, uh, which I kind of find hysterical because they still work. Right. I mean, this you is... know, it may, it may not be the prettiest picture out there, but it they still work. And, you know, they were fine for me when I was growing up as a kid. <laughs> I had a black and white TV when I was a little kid. Um, you know, it's like, if it's free, you know, but what do I know? Um, well, it but, is frustrating. I will say, especially if you just want to donate it because you can see there's still mm-hmm. life in it, but you know, I, I get asked this question about, well, what about donating to schools? And that seems like an obvious thing, right? They can always, they mm-hmm. need stuff. There's mm-hmm. constant need in our public school system in the United States. The problem is schools need 20 or 30 of the same piece of equipment. They right. do not have the resources to maintain right. a bunch of different equipment. They need to do mm-hmm. it in bulk. So most schools will not accept ones and twos. Now, if you happen to know a place that takes it, maybe they've got a, an IT department that's really into fixing old things. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of geeks mm-hmm. are. That's different if you've got that in. But Unless you have a direct connection, I would say do not waste your time trying to reach out to schools. They are overwhelmed uh, by things. So if reuse is not an option, I mean, most of my stuff that has life in it goes to friends and family because I can help them maintain it if it is older. And I know that it still has a good life left in it. Um, If I do sell anything because I'm in the Apple ecosystem, I sell directly back to Apple. 
they have a very okay. aggressive program about uh, purchasing and also recycling, uh, especially old computers. And uh, they have sort of wiped out a lot of the third party market because they have dominated. So if you can't reuse it, your next option is to recycle it. Now, not just straight. Well, if I may, before we go to the recycling, mm-hmm. um, let me ask you this. So this kind of goes back to the first question. Um, you know, you talk about reusing it and having a, you know, a further life with that piece of tech uh, equipment. You know, doesn't that kind of go back to, well, I don't want to throw this out yet, even though I still, you know, I may not be using that scanner anymore. What if, you know, what if I get a new one or if it turns out I may need something like this again in the future? How, how would you suggest people handle that, um, that decision? decision making process yeah i mean this is this is the hard bit right is deciding Mm -hmm. um what i usually tell my clients is to forget about what they did in the past they have Mm -hmm. to think about what's going on in the future so you may have been an avid user of that scanner Mm -hmm. and you're not anymore it doesn't matter that you were an avid user you got that's in the past you have to think about are you likely to do that in the future? You know, is it something you are still interested in? If, for example, since I work in the consumer field, they were scanning old photo, family photographs, right? They've done all of theirs, but they're concerned that, well, other family members have some. And if I could scan other people's, if they wanted me to, or if somebody comes up with a photo I don't have, I'd like to be able to mm-hmm. scan it, et cetera, et cetera. You say, okay, I mean, that's a legitimate reason to hang on to a piece of equipment. but you're, you have to have the space for it. You have to have the desire to maintain the usability of that piece of equipment Mm -hmm. because equipment does age. So in three years, is it still going to be able to be connected to your computer in three years when you want to use it again, are you going to be able to have software that will access that piece of equipment? Those are things Mm -hmm. to consider. You don't know that it's in the future, but you can sort of make some guesses about whether or not it's going to be accessible and what it would take to get that operational again. And in the case where they can't really see a hard use for it, I say, well, is there another way that you could accomplish scanning that handful of photos that somebody, some cousin shows up with? And there are, there may be other ways you can do it. Maybe you could borrow a scanner from somebody else. Maybe you could take it to a photo service and have it scanned for you. You know, mm-hmm. so you sort of have to talk through, well, if I didn't have this, how, what else could I do? And then how much of a pain right. in the neck would that be? Um, I think the thing that people skip over the most is in the future, losing access to that piece of hardware. They think it's going to keep right. running forever. Now, a lot of my clients run their computers into the ground and they never update their operating system. So fine, you're golden. <laughs> But I don't recommend that. That's got some security implications. And certainly in the business world, maintaining your tech is part of your job, unfortunately. We've all become tech professionals. Mm -hmm. Had to. So there's no easy answer for that. There's just a lot more questions and thinking about it. And I I like to look at it as, look, what's the worst case scenario? If you absolutely need this, can you go back out on eBay and buy it again? (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So, but you were going to talk about recycling, the other half of the answer. So with recycling comes the big question of data destruction. How do we handle that sensitive data? Because that's the key here. Recycling a cord that plugs into your printer, very easy compared with how do I handle the sensitive data on this external hard drive? 
and make right. sure that I'm comfortable with my decision on that. Right. So, but when you're talking about recycling as a whole, one of the things I take into consideration is the environment. And this gets a little, not sticky, it's just hard to know because we know there have been some scandals about electronics recycling uncovered in the news. And it's very hard to get clear information from companies exactly how they're handling the waste that they mm -hmm. process on site. Most of it is not processed fully in the United States, for example, it is shipped elsewhere. So one of my concerns is, is this company being a good steward about this stuff that is potentially right. going to contaminate groundwater? How do you know that? It's hard to know, but you can look at their website. What are their statements about it? Um, what are they saying? Have they ever been hired a company to do an external audit on them and or to do audits of the companies that they send their stuff to? You have to figure out what your level of concern is here and then find mm -hmm. a company that goes along with your values on that. But the trickier thing is data destruction, but it's related. So we're talking right. about um, in the old days, if you've been using computers for a long time, like me, we talked about erasing data. That was good enough. Right. You write ones and zeros over the whole disk and you hand it off to your cousin and you move forward. And if you got really picky, you might run three passes of ones and zeros over that. And if you got mm -hmm. really nervous, you might run seven and let your computer run for two days straight while it did this elaborate erasing. I would say from my perspective, keeping in mind that I am not a security professional, but I do a lot of research in this for my clients and for myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say that that's not good enough anymore. We know okay. that, that data can be recovered off of quote erased disks. Also with the move to SSDs as, as opposed to spinning hard drives, mm -hmm. erasing the whole drive is not recommended because that really increases the wear and tear of the drive and degrades its lifespan significantly. So erasing thing of the past, what we wanna talk about is data destruction, which means literally shredding the drive, like you would shred okay. paper. They go into these grinders that break them up. That's unrecoverable. Once your device has gone through that, you are good to go. You know, there's no risk. Nobody can recover from that. But what do you do? So how do you get to that point? Um, there are different types of storage we're concerned with, right? We've got external drives, easy to handle. I can give them to a company. And we've got internal drives inside our laptops, inside our desktops. Sometimes you can take those internal drives and hand them off. That's the sensitive mm -hmm. data. And then you can recycle the rest of the computer. Why would you want to do that? Largely, it's cheaper. It's going to be, you know, they usually go by weight of mm -hmm. electronics. So if you can handle a pile of drives, it's going to be a lot less expensive right. than if you have to haul in whole towers. Okay. However, modern computers are largely glued together. Taking them apart oh. is a pain in the neck. <laughs> and I know I have clients who think they're going to do it and they never get around to it. And so these computers just linger in their life because it's kind of a process to take it apart and pull out the hard drive. So that's something you have to think about. How, how much do you care about the internal um, data that you're getting rid of? One thing I would recommend though, is before, if especially you are going to be handing it down, reusing it, Mm -hmm. How do you handle your data, data privacy when I've said erasing isn't enough? The main right, thing right. is encrypting, encrypt that data. Uh, 
both uh, Windows and Apple uh, have built into their operating system full disk encryption. This has mm -hmm. been going on for years. I would say in the last five years, it is completely seamless. You don't even know it's running. I would recommend to all of my clients, especially my business clients, you must be running full disk encryption on your main computers. Because and if- correct me if I'm wrong, the encrypt encrypting your disks today do not, does not slow down the computer as it used to several years ago. Exactly. We finally sort of have passed the threshold where encryption was nice to have, but you took mm -hmm. a little bit of hit, things would launch slower, the computer would boot much more slowly. And in the mm -hmm. early days, even every oper everyday operations would be slower. That is no longer the case. Computers have, have are now fast enough generally to handle this without you even noticing it. So there's really no reason not to encrypt, especially if you're talking about a laptop, which can be easily stolen. For desktops, you might allow a little more slack there. You may decide not to if you've got particular programs that don't run with it or something like that. Honestly, I haven't heard of that in a long time, mm -hmm. but I'm a little less concerned about day-to-day -day operations if you have a desktop having it encrypted. But before you get right. rid of it, you can certainly encrypt that whole sucker and then erase it. So if yep. somebody gets a hold of it and they they can break through the erasure, maybe it didn't work perfectly. What do they right, get? Right. They get encrypted data. They don't get your the full stuff. Now they have to decrypt this stuff. So that's the way I think of it today. Encrypt before you erase if you aren't running encryption all the time. However, there's one wrinkle to that which mm. in the backup business, we call fail safe versus fail secure. So a lot of times we run backups of our computers on external hard drives, right? We plug right. in another drive or we plug in an external drive to just make that frantic copy of the really important data because we're nervous about it. We want this pristine right. copy over here. The point of those drives is to get access to data. If something goes wrong with your main computer and it's encrypted, ooh, you're gonna have a really hard time running any kind of data recovery software on that computer to recover right. that data because it's been encrypted. If you've also encrypted your backups and your external copies mm -hmm. and you have moved a, a damaged copy of your data onto that encrypted drive, you're also not going to be able to recover that ooh. using software. Mm -hmm. That is a situation we call fail secure, meaning when that drive fails or when access to that drive fails, mm -hmm. the data is securely held. But for a backup of data, what we really want that backup to do is give us our data. I want it to right. fail in a safe mode. So right. not encrypt my backup drives, right, right. not encrypt my extra panicky storage drives. We want those to fail safe. So I do have unencrypted drives in my office for that purpose. Now you have to make the decision what, what your risk is of this data, whether you should fail safe or fail secure. Right. But a lot of people just wanna, when they hear about encryption, they wanna encrypt everything. And that's not always the right decision. However, I will say before I get rid of these external drives, you can bet I go through and encrypt them and then erase them. So how do you find Excellent. a company that oh, does, go ahead, go ahead. Yep. I want to say, I want to talk about this data destruction thing, because that's the next Please. question I get asked is where do I go to get this mm -hmm. data destroyed? Uh, there are companies that do this and often they are built off of paper shredding companies and more and more paper shredding, uh, especially the big ones are doing electronics, secure destruction. 
Mm-hmm. And if you are looking for a company, but you already ha- are working with one who does paper shredding, that would be my first port of call. Contact them and find out if they do this kind of destruction and see how much it's going to cost you. Because there are differing levels of security and some companies will offer certificates of destruction and there are sort of different levels of secure destruction associated with that. And you need to figure out what do you really need? How far do you need to go? And how much money do you have to spend on this? Because boy, it can get expensive very quickly. Really? Yeah. It's done by weight and, and also the, the more certified you need it is going to cost more because there are more, there's more control over the whole chain of handling of this material that they have to monitor. And that's obviously takes a lot of eyes and people on the job to do Mm -hmm. that. Um, Not saying it's prohibitive. I'm just saying that that is a factor in all of this. Um, There are companies that will come to your site and take all your stuff away from you. Obviously you're gonna pay a lot more for that compared if you can drop it off yourself. If you wanna drop it off yourself and watch it being destroyed, Mm -hmm sometimes that can cost a lot of money (laughs) because these places sometimes are not set up to allow visitors into what is usually required a hard hat wearing kind of area. Right. So you need to find what you're comfortable with and um, what you can afford. Uh, If there is nothing in your area, like you do not live near a large metropolitan area, there are places that will take shipped uh, electronics and securely destroy them for you. That is the only time I would recommend shipping your electronics is if you do if you need the data destruction side of it. Right. Um, there are ones that will just take a plain old cardboard box. You fill it up up to twenty five pounds and you pay a fee, and that's mm-hmm. it. You know, it's a flat fee for that amount of weight, and you're off to the races. There, are, if you need more security en route, which of course is a huge liability when you're shipping sensitive data. They will provide, other companies will provide a box that has its own lock code. You set it with your personal code. You send it off. You know, there's an outer box it goes into that gets shipped, sent to the company. So there are a lot of complex ways you can address this. And again, it all gets down to how much security do you need? But there's a way around most of it if you're willing to spend money. (laughs) Well, I'm assuming if you're going to ship it to another company that you've got to have some sort of tracking mechanism on it, whether it's from the post office or FedEx or or UPS. Yeah, I think almost all of them require that you send it in a particular way, either with a tracking thing or with, um, you know, a third party shipping company that does secure shipping. They have their procedures for it. I I had never heard of the locked box before I did some research and I thought that was fascinating. It makes a lot of sense. You know, for people who don't have access to a huge company that has their own shredding on Mm -hmm. site. Mm-hmm. There has to be a way for sensitive material to be handled appropriately. And, uh, but I will say tech people are the worst at this because they always think they can do this destruction themselves. They want to take a hard drive to that hammer, you know? And so what happens is you look in their office and they got eight computers sitting over there on a table that have been there for two years while they're waiting to do this destruction or, and that is a huge security risk in itself. It's a liability risk to have that data right. stored because now you're relying on the security of your office space to control this. Mm-hmm. It's better to address it in a more timely fashion. And uh, it's all part of the cleaning out process. <laughs> well, excellent, excellent. Thank you for sharing. Um, so tell us, uh, let's move on to the last question. What are three tips lawyers could use in maintaining the technology? 
All right, the first one is really boring and annoying, and we all know it, which is to keep your software up to date. <laughs> your software is what runs the hardware, which is really what we're talking about today, but the software is behind it. So but Margaret, I want to use I want to use the older equipment or I want to use WordPerfect from way back when because WordPerfect used used to be the lawyer's only word processing program to use. Yeah. What do you say I, to that? I mean, I'm with you. I actually I loved WordPerfect. It was my favorite back <laughs> in the day. I used it and I was so heartbroken when it lost out to Microsoft Word. <laughs> I'm sorry, I hated it. With, with I never <laughs> understood it, but yeah, I, I worked with a couple of attorneys that, that dealt with it and you know stuck with it. But uh, but yeah. be that as it may, what do you say right. to those attorneys? Okay, so if you must run older versions of software, and you notice the use of the word must, you must make sure that they are new enough to still get security fixes. If they are not getting security fixes or your old applications require you to run an operating system that is not getting mm -hmm. security fixes, you should not be running that software. That is not a responsible thing to do as a business owner in any way, shape or form. It's just where we are now. Um, I would say, however, that doesn't mean you should run your updates immediately. Let somebody else be the guinea right. pigs and right, run right. through the week or two, mm -hmm. but don't use that fear of being a guinea pig to allow you to put it off for four months. Right. <laughs> Keep your stuff up to date. Keep your software up to date and you will be ahead of the game. Another thing I would say is don't let your old stuff linger. First, you're more likely to forget what that thing is. You pull mm -hmm. it out and it looks like a power charger, but I have no idea what it's for. I put it, when I put it away, I knew what I was putting away, but now I have no right. idea because it's been in there for four years. Okay, so that's a good reason to not let the stuff build up for a long period of time. Um, the other reason is that old data storage, so again, we're talking about especially this secure data that we need to really keep track of. Old data storage, the physical devices, can become hard to access. Now, mm -hmm. if we're moving all to external drives for everything. We don't have these removable things. That's fixed some of those problems, but we all know this that we're shifting from USB-A and USB-B to USB-C. Right. In six years, how easy is it going to be to plug in that old drive you discovered at the back Right. you forgot about? Right, it's right. not gonna be as easy, is it? it? Yes, you can find dongles and adapters. I've had to do that. I've done it for myself, I've done it for clients. I had to find, you know, in an emergency, a zip drive because I found a shoebox full of zip disks that I thought I'd gotten rid of. And I wasn't 100% sure what was on board all these disks and I had to look through them. And I almost had to buy one off of eBay in order to get access to this data. Don't right. be like me, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> the big reason to get rid of old stuff is because you lose the ability to connect to it easily or you lose the ability to run the software that can read the data that's on it. And the third thing I would say is know what you have. And that might be you need some kind of inventory control system, which sounds very you know, nerve wracking. But really what I'm talking about is mostly a spreadsheet for small offices, a spreadsheet listing what drives you've got and approximately what's on them. Not in great detail, but is this a backup? And is it an archive backup? So when did I stop using it as a backup? Or, oh, this is these are the drives that are full of the files you know, from Project X. That's all the level of detail I'm usually concerned with at this point. 
if you have a simple setup, you might be able to just look around and know what you've got. For example, my office is fairly straightforward. I've got one closet that the stuff goes in in a few boxes mm -hmm. and I can look at my desk. I don't need a spreadsheet to tell me what I have because I sort of keep it under control. I don't let things disperse and I'm a one person operation. Um, I would say as part of knowing what you have is to label your drives, especially with mm -hmm. the contents. But if you're really clever, you will label your external drives with the date that you put them into service. So you know how old they are. It's really easy to remember that that one red drive, you know, I bought, oh, that's pretty old, but how old is pretty old? Is it six years old and you're using it as a backup? I'm going to tell you, get rid of it. It's going to fail soon. Right. It may not fail next week. It may not fail next month, but you're going to be picking yourself if your backup is lost because it, it, it failed and you thought it was much younger than it actually was. Um, and finally, when people really try to grill me on how much detail do I need, this goes back to thinking about why are you doing this? And I tell them, look, if somebody had to come into your space and either clean it up, you know, say, get rid of this sensitive material, or maybe mm -hmm. had to use your computer in an emergency to get something done, because maybe you got right. stuck in the hospital or something, what would it take for them to be able to walk into your space and sort of understand what you've got? Right, right. Like, oh, that's the backup drive. She told me that the data is on there. Great. I can find it. So think about labeling in those terms. Somebody who knows what you do, but doesn't know the details just to give them the, the lay of the land. So labeling with a piece of tape and writing with a marker is fine. Getting a fancy labeler, if that's your jam, is also great. But label them somehow and probably not with a post-it note. It's really tempting, but they don't stick forever. <laughs> well, what, uh, what method do you use? I use a labeler. Um, I like to have things really neat. Part of my other gig is doing graphic design. So I try to okay. everything look really, really spiffy. I'm getting better about putting dates on things. I'm terrible about that. Um, but well, what I realize- What do you use? Um, well, I have a sort of standard one that you just, you know, has its own keyboard built in, but it's, it's mm -hmm. kind of wide. So it's got the QWERTY keyboard layout, which I find much easier to type on instead of the alpha, you know, alphabetical right, kinds. Right. Um, but then I did splurge several years ago and got one that I can print from my phone too. And I sometimes use that one oh, wow. too. Okay. And it's, it's nifty, but I will say I got it because you could use different fonts, which I thought was really cool, but the resolution is pretty small or it's pretty uh, low. So it's not as nifty as I thought it was going to be. And actually the regular old, like $30, you know, brother machine does a great job and you can make the font smaller and it still stays much more readable because it's you know designed to be very bitmappy. <laughs> well, well I, I have to ask, so why a label maker versus printing off labels uh, off your computer and printer? Well, the biggest reason was that I didn't have enough of a reason to have one of those small, narrow, dedicated label makers. So when I would do it on my computer, I'm talking about running a whole sheet through my right. laser printer. My laser printer, uh, I ran that thing for 17 years. Mm -hmm. But in the last five or six years of his life, it really started to lose the ability to handle other media. <laughs> so it wouldn't run labels through reliably anymore. Mm. And that was the big, the big point when I realized, yeah, this is not 
I need to do something better than this. It's becoming a hassle to do that. So therefore I never do mm -hmm. it. Everything is labeled with post-it notes and I can't keep stuff straight. I needed to just spend $30 and buy some tapes and solve this problem. Fair enough. So sometimes enough. you need that low entry solution to things. But I've right. also used, uh, my favorite thing is uh, gaffer tape, which is a cloth tape yep. with a matte surface. You can write on with a Sharpie. I use that all okay. the time. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for sharing. And thank you for being on the podcast today. Uh, if I may, where can people find you? Well, my tech support business is at um, bungalowtech.com, mm -hmm. which is mostly because anything with my last name, Martin, is hard to get a domain name for because they're <laughs> all taken. I live in a bungalow. I do tech. I came up with that. So that, that's my home on, on the web. Uh, my uh, graphic design business, which is mostly for building websites, is... Again, the same problem. So it's hit the nail, like hit the nail on the head.com. Mm -hmm. All run together, no uh, hyphens or dashes or anything like that. But the bungalow tech is where to find me and how to get a hold of me. And I'm doing more and more consultations completely on Zoom with people who I've never met in real life. It's all remote now. And it's it's great because it saves me from having to drive, which cuts down on the total cost to my clients if we can do it remotely. I've had some pretty hilarious, you know, experiences where people are trying to hold up their phones in front of the cameras to get them on screens, but boy, we make it work. <laughs> so, so correct me if I'm wrong, you help not only just consumers, but you also help business, which would include lawyers. Oh yes, I do. And I will say that mostly I came into this, um, because my friends and family needed my help and right. my business has grown organically. So it's all word of mouth. So who are they telling? They're telling their friends, they're, they're right. retirees for the large part right, right. and it's spread through the retiree community. But my other gig is working um, is with the graphic design is all business to business stuff. So I do have crossover there. So I work with a lot of businesses for that and I do help tech support there, but it is only Apple stuff. I will only work on your okay. Windows machine if we have to do something and you just can't make it work. And I'm sitting in the office, I will sometimes take over and drive. Although I must admit with this, with this crisis, I have gotten a few Windows users up and running with Zoom, getting their webcams installed, but I don't have enough time to keep up with a whole new platform. So I don't think it's really fair for me to offer those services. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you again for coming on and, and thank you. Thanks. It's been great. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy lawyering.